Hello and welcome to episode number 174 of Turkey Book Talk. Thank you for listening. I'm William Armstrong here in Istanbul. In this episode, we hear from Saniye Dedeolu of Moola University, who's the author of Syrian Refugees and Agriculture in Turkey, Work, Precarity, Survival, just published by IB Taurus Bloomsbury. The book looks at how Turkey's community of well over three and a half million Syrians have integrated into the country's labor market in recent years. In particular, it looks at Turkey's very large agriculture sector, in which many Syrians work informally, struggling with tough, back-breaking work, long hours, moving from province to province based on the season and the product with little work security and very low wages. We talk about the effect all that has had on the Turkish labor market, on Syrians' integration, on relations between men and women, and the role of child labor. But before we get started with the interview, remember that you can find our entire archive of episodes going right back to 2015 over at turkeybooktalk.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You can support the podcast by becoming a Turkey Book Talk member via Patreon. Joining as a Turkey Book Talk member gets you numerous extras, including an exclusive discount of 35% off the price of all books published in IB Taurus and Bloomsbury's excellent Turkey and Ottoman history series. Every one of the hundreds of Turkey Ottoman history titles published by IB Taurus Bloomsbury is available to Turkey Book Talk members at a 35% discount. Indeed, as you may have guessed, that deal also includes the book that we're discussing in this very episode. Members get a special code to use at the online checkout, and that deal is valid for all physical books, pre-orders, and e-books. If you'd rather read these interviews and listen to them, then good news, because Turkey Book Talk members receive a PDF transcript of every interview via email as soon as the episode is published. You also get PDF transcripts of the entire archive of Turkey Book Talk interviews when you sign up, including many extras that have not previously published on the podcast. Members also receive an archive of over 200 book reviews written by myself, ranging from Turkish and international fiction and poetry to history, politics and journalism related to the Middle East and Europe. And finally, I also send links to a couple of articles related to the subject of the episode in the email that I send out to members upon publication, which is ideal if you want to delve a bit deeper. To become a member, just go to Turkey Book Talk's Patreon page and pledge three dollars, three euros, or two pounds fifty per episode. If you're feeling particularly generous and want to pledge more, then of course you'll be more than welcome. But so long as you pledge three dollars, three euros, or two pounds fifty or above per episode, membership is entirely at your own discretion. There are no prior commitments or strings attached. You'll be free to sign off whenever you want. But now onto our conversation with Sanie Dedeolu. She conducted her research on the ground among various Syrian seasonal agricultural workers in Turkey from 2015 to 2019. With the recent turn of public sentiment against Syrian migrants in Turkey, I started by asking her what hurdles she encountered during the research process and whether the atmosphere deteriorated over the years of her research. In the beginning, actually, I started to conduct studies on seasonal agricultural workers in 2015. And it wasn't really too difficult, only, you know, all that geographical difficulties that you have to reach the people you want to interview. But also uh, in uh, 2016, that we as researchers, academic researchers, the um, Higher Education Institute in, in Turkey issued a decision that we, you know, researchers need to get permission before they can do study on Syrian migrants. I was working with an NGO, you know, 
most of the research that I've done was for UNICEF in Ankara. So they kind of dealt with this getting permission from the authorities. So it was uh, it was all right. And because in two cases, we had to conduct quite large surveys. One was in 2016 that we reached over 1,500 people living in the province of Adana. And in the second was in 2018 that we conducted in Adana and Urfa, we again reached over 2,000 people. So, you know, without permission or the recognition uh, of the research uh, or the fieldwork from the authorities, it, it, it would have been impossible to conduct that research. And obviously, the question of Syrians has become more sensitive over time, and particularly in recent years, we've seen this rise in anti-Syrian sentiment, particularly. Did you sense that mood changing over the course of the research? How did that reflect on the ground? Actually, the, the, the initial uh, or the, in early days, like in 2015, when we were visiting farmers in Mersin, there was this really welcoming attitude towards Syrians from the side of em- employers. And I also quoted in my research that, you know, they were welcoming and Syrians, they were saying, you know, Syrians are good for our business. We welcome them because, you know, we get used to them being around here. So it was like the early stages of Syrians are taking this agricultural work, especially in the in the region of Chukurova. And some farmers were trying out whether they can use Syrian workers in, in their agricultural work. But then after a year that we went to do another cycle of research, what we encountered or what we have observed, Syrians were replacing domestic or let's say Turkish workers. So majority of agricultural workers in Adana were Syrians. And we didn't really observe any day-to-day antagonistic relations taking place because there was these segments of people, you know, were separated from each other because Syrians were working together with Syrians and, you know, Turkish people were working with Turkish people. But in recent years, you know, in general atmosphere in Turkey, we see a rising anti-Syrian sentiment generally. But there has been a couple of years that I haven't been to the field, so I can't really say any reference to the specifically agricultural workers. But what I have observed in this relationship between workers coming from different backgrounds, if I can give the example of hazelnut during the harvesting season, we see there are different layers of workers come to the region and want to be a part of this labor market. For example, you have Karadenizli, you know, North Sea people demanding jobs and then, you know, local people. And then you have domestic workers traveling to order or Giresun to to harvest hazelnut or for the workers what I call them and then you have Georgian workers you know coming during the harvesting season and then you also have maybe Syrians workers traveling with Urfalo workers. So this seasonal agricultural work and involvement of migrant workers in Turkey's agricultural sector actually brings out a social change as far as I understand. 
this change may involve antagonistic relations because this is the maybe the first time these people are being in the in the same area. Yeah. And you talk about it there, you know, the replacement of Turkish citizens, really, in the informal sector, the agricultural sector in particular, with Syrians. So Syrians basically replacing Turkish workers in that sector. And that has meant that Syrians have basically emerged as what you call a new precariat in Turkey, you know, doing precarious, unstable, insecure work, daily work very often obviously also seasonal uh, in the agricultural sector, moving around. And you quote in the book research that suggests that over 97% of Syrian workers in Turkey work informally, and that's both agricultural and urban work, obviously. It's pretty remarkable because informal employment generally in Turkey is estimated, you say, to be around just 35%, still quite high, but much lower than that 97% of Syrian workers. So you see in this almost replacement of Turkish workers in this precarious sector with Syrians, and that you know could cause and seems to be causing some social tensions, would you say? Yes. Recent quantitative studies point out two conclusions. You know, when we analyze this finding of replacement of Turkish citizens in, in the informal sector with Syrians or other international migrants, it could be Afghans or Iraqis. Studies say that, you know, there is this replacement of Turkish workers in the informal sector. They prove that findings. And what happens to Turkish workers then? You know, they, they must be going somewhere else. And they say while Syrians or migrants replace Turkish workers in the informal sector, there is an increase of Turkish workers in the formal sectors. Yeah. Just wonder here, while we're on this subject of, you know, precarious work and the kind of criticism of that in terms of integration, it brings to mind that we actually spoke to uh, Murat Erdogan, quite a prominent researcher on particularly Syrian migrants and their integration in Turkey. I think it was last year we spoke to him. And um, basically, he was talking about how, according to their research, you know, he, he speculated that this kind of informality and casual labor, he suggested that that's actually been quite a useful, practical way of integrating Syrians. It kind of gives them a role in obviously the very challenging situation. It's obviously an imperfect solution, but it's he framed it as almost a useful kind of muddle through to gradually integrate Syrians into the workforce, because obviously there are challenges in terms of getting work permits and permission to work. So it's quite an in, a counterintuitive take. Some people will be very offended by that kind of suggestion that you know, informal work is a positive thing when you think about the kind of exploitation that we're talking about. But what do you make of that kind of argument that he made? I mean, he's kind of stating the obvious, you know, as we know about the difficulties of getting work permits and you know there is only that pathway of you know integrating Syrians through informal work but I think we need to understand you know how in Turkish society informal work is constructed and you need to look at it from the side of capital from the side of employers or you know migrant workers but also from the side of the state 
Because if you issue a work permit law, you know, restricting the access of workers or giving the the right only to employers to get the work permit. So I think the workers will have very limited options for integration, actually, because, you know, you have so many limitations for work permits. And then the result will be, of course, integration of Syrians through informal channels. And also what we know from this quantitative studies or studies on Syrian labor in, in, in Turkish labor market, actually employers are craving to employ employ them in, in for, on informal terms because they are helping to lower the wages. We can argue that even the issue of work permits and get, getting a work permit, if, if it was easier, I think there will still be many, many uh, Syrians employed in informal sector. And this is also depend on how Turkish economy is running on informal jobs. Let's look at our main sectors like tourism, agriculture, textile, you know, all these main sectors offering main employment opportunities in Turkey are quite labor intensive and informal sectors. And we see in many areas that even there are different livelihood programs run by United Nations or, you know, other NGOs, maybe international NGOs, you know, offering training for Syrians and Turkish people. Many of these trainees end up in informal sector employment because, you know, that window open to migrants in Turkey in the labor market are mostly informal jobs. So when you construct your laws and labor markets on informal terms, I think it will be the single way because you, you don't increase the options for Syrians. And it is easy to say that that's a good way of integration. But if it's the single path built for migrants to integrate to Turkish societies, we need to think about the ways in which we, you know, accept migrants to labor market in Turkey. So it, maybe it's positive because, you know, people don't die of hunger, so they have something to eat. But we really have to think about what types of jobs these people undertake. These jobs are highly exploitative. One of the things that your book does really well, I think, is you as you talk about there in that answer, you know, you're painting almost a holistic picture of the economy. You're describing how the really horrific conditions really endured by these workers, the very long hours, hard, backbreaking work and subsistence wages. That fits into the price that is paid here in Istanbul, basically for pretty cheap vegetables and fruit. Uh, obviously not as cheap as before because of inflation, but relatively cheap on the shelves here in Istanbul. And it's all part of this bigger picture. You know, those prices wouldn't be as low if, if people weren't basically being exploited in this way. So that's a picture that you paint in, in the book. I think it's pretty effective and uh, it's a point that's not often made. And you talk also about this downward pressure on wages, this idea that Syrians basically working for less than Turkish and Kurdish agricultural workers. Obviously, that idea of downward pressure on wages has become widely believed. And it's one of the points of criticism among Turkish citizens saying, you know, Syrians are lowering standards, etc. in the labor market. But uh, it does seem that in your research, you know, one person after another tells you that this is what they're experiencing. So could you talk about that, you know, the idea of downward pressure on wages, undercutting of wages, possibly. What did your research find on that issue? 
Yeah, I, that's, uh, I think, one of the main points. Uh, maybe I should give an example uh, from the field, you know, how we have observed this downward pressure on wages. In 2015, our aim was to see the situation of migrant workers in seasonal agricultural work in Turkey and then We visited more than 10 cities, you know, producing main agricultural products in Turkey, from apricot to tea to peppers in Chukurova. You know, we had like more than 10 cities visited. And we see three patterns or three groups of migrant workers in Turkey. The first one was Georgian workers working mainly on tea cutting in the northeast of Turkey. And And then we had Azerbaijanis working in, again, in the region of Kars and Ardahan, and also Syrian workers in the southeast of Turkey. So when we compared the wages these three different groups get, it was quite obvious, you know, how Syrians are actually paid and the lower the wages in the region of Chukurova mainly. If you are a Georgian worker and work for tea cutting in the Artvin and Rize, in 2015, you got 100 lira and you had a place to stay and you could get cigarettes and phone credits, you know, all lunch and food. And if you're an Azerbaijani worker in Ardahan and Kars, you got almost similar. But if you're a Georgian worker going for hazelnut harvest, you would get half of what you got for tea cutting, almost 50 lira, which showed us that if there are different groups competing for the same job, the wages went down because for hazelnut harvest, you had local workers, you had workers from the southeast and also Georgian workers, you know, they lowered that price. But when we went to southeast, you know, where most of the Syrians work, we have seen that even local workers, domestic workers got like 40 or 50 lira for a day. They were working for 24 or 25 almost half of what domestic workers worked for. And this finding actually is not different from the findings uh, from other sectors. If you look at the research on textile workers in Istanbul, you will still find that migrant workers paid less. So that was what I observed during my field work in terms of this downward pressure of Syrians in, in agricultural sector. You mentioned there that many Syrians work not just in agriculture, obviously, but in the urban space, again, in informal work in factories, textile work on the urban periphery of Istanbul and elsewhere. I mean, what are the similarities and differences between the two? Obviously, you know, informal work is informal work, but it's, uh, there's significant differences. And what are the proportions? You know, are we talking, is, there, is it a majority of uh, the Syrian workers in Turkey are working in the urban space or agriculture? Or could you just talk about the difference between the two? Yeah, I think, you know, in Turkey, I think talking about Syrians and migrants, we, we have really difficulty of not knowing the whole picture because we don't have a national-based data. And, you know, everyone, every researcher or every publication tells a bit of the whole picture, a bit of the story. But it's really difficult to see since we don't have national data, you know, what people aren't doing, where they mostly work, you know, it's all 
anecdotal information. So it's really difficult to give a perspective. But what I see from other studies and from my own work, that Syrians in rural areas usually have rural background um, back in Syria. You know, they are kind of familiar with agricultural work. And as our research shows that, you know, they have lower education. Many of them are illiterate. You know, I think it was one, more than one third of our sample were illiterate and they have large families, you know, having an extended family or large families in average more than eight people in a family and they probably don't have so much social status change from Syria to Turkey but what we see in urban areas many workers in this labor intensive sector or some may go through this de-skilling process because you know they may be accepting jobs below their education and their social status and I remember from from a study done in Denizli by child in Lutrik and her students showing that many high educated women like university graduates were taking up jobs in textiles so this was a kind of de-skilling but in, in agriculture we didn't come across too many of these cases you know there were a few but the majority of the workforce in agriculture was really from an agricultural background because you need to be familiar with the agricultural uh, work itself. You need to have a little bit of background of that. So going back to your question, yes, I agree that there are more Syrians in urban areas because if we consider like over 1 million of them are in employment in Turkey and probably only maybe let's say 15 to 20 percent could be in taking up jobs in agriculture but the population of Syrians are in Turkey changing because they are moving over the years they are moving towards the big cities in the early years Urfa, Antep, Hatay and Kilis hold the most of the Syrian population but now it's changing for example Istanbul is is the major city of Syrian population now. So I think more and more Syrians are moving into urban employment in recent years. But I still believe that many are in agricultural employment. Yes. Now, there's a big section in the book and a big section of your research concerning Syrian women workers in the agricultural sector. And you go into a lot of detail, fascinating detail about where they fit into the picture and basically how their employers see them as an even cheaper source of labor and not just financial aspects there, but also women workers are seen as easier to control and exploit basically in this sector. And they're very often driven to work harder, to work longer for less wages by their employers. So could you just talk about that aspect of the research, where women fit into this broader picture of Syrian informal agricultural work? Okay, yeah, I mean, this this aspect of, of the research on women workers are really um, exciting for me to talk about. Because I'm a feminist researcher, even though the objective of my fieldwork was never to analyze women separately from other groups, because we just wanted to see seasonal agricultural work and its working dynamics. But, you know, since we have collected all that information, done all many studies, 
these surveys, we kept seeing this, the number of women working in agriculture in our sample was quite high. And what we found is like 45% of the women in our sample were in employment. This is like very extraordinary because when we look at Turkey's female labor force participation, it's around 30%. And if we look at Syrian, the labor force participation of women back in Syria is even lower. So what we see, this is really striking that women are in employment, even it's in agriculture, because in other sectors, like, you know, in textile, maybe in other areas, Syrian women are not working as they are in agriculture in high numbers. So this was like a very specific finding of our research. Even though women live in unusual conditions, in unusual settings, because they live in tent areas, what is coming out of this research findings that we have seen that increased paid work time of women in the fields, but also increased unpaid work time of women in their domestic sphere because they have to cook for their families in unusual settings because imagine you are in Adana in the middle of August. It's almost 60 degrees and, you know, you work in the fields. So this is very harsh. And then when you come back home, you still have to cook for your family. If you don't have running water and if you don't have all that easy basic facilities that we have in our homes, how much time and effort that you have to spend. So what I come to conclude with this crude findings of women's work and labor in uh, seasonal agricultural work families that, you know, their life and survival are really dependent on women's work and labor. Not in terms of just earning a cash income, but also all that reproductive work women do to help their families to survive in these unusual settings. Women are easily controlled within those patriarchal hierarchical networks because, you know, you have male employer, male agricultural intermediary and male head of households. I call them as patriarchal solidarity to control women's labor and the product of women's work, actually. So what I try to do is to highlight these conditions that women endure in these families, actually. And there's also a section in the book on child labour, which is a very widespread practice in the area that we're talking about, despite obviously the fact that it's officially outlawed in Turkey. But it's, like I say, a very widespread practice and it's another form really of exploitation. Often these children, you know, obviously they're not going to school, they're paid barely anything and they, you know, are encouraged in many cases actually by their families to, to work because the families need that uh, in order to survive. So, I mean, what did your research find about child labour among Syrian agricultural workers? I think the child labour was as striking as women workers in seasonal agricultural work because even the data we had told us that one third of workforce in our survey was under the age of 18. So number of child workers went as high as 80% of girls between the age of 15 and 17 
you know, in early ages, you still have high numbers, but they start after the age of 10. And 85% of boys between the age of 15 and 17 are working in the fields. So that's really a huge proportion of workers. In, in many of the research that I, I was part of, whenever we interviewed anyone, we kept asking whether children were working in the fields. And the most of the replies we got that, you know, there is no ch children. We don't make children work in the fields. But whenever we went to visit a farm, see workers working, there were many children working. And then someone told us that, you know, what we call as a child is not the same as what they call as a child. If you allow me, there is a quote from my interviews that I would like to read it here because it's really striking. Quote, child is not the one who can work in the field. We don't call them children. For us, child has no age. Child is the one who is playing with toys and has no understanding. When they start doing useful stuff around and keep themselves busy with work, they are no longer children. We don't call them children anymore, unquote. I mean, this is like how, you know, they are conceptualizing children. And actually, what we have learned from the field that people believe that children after the age of 12 need to be in the field. You know, they are the real prime workers. A father mentioned that he told me that, look at me, how can I go and work in the field because I'm over 40? You know, it's very difficult for me to bend down and, and do all that hard work. But And look at him. Uh, he was pointing out his son. He is the one who needs to go and work in the farm. So this is how we observe child labor among Syrian workers. But I should mention that child labor in seasonal agricultural work is not specific to Syrians. It's, it's the main character of that seasonal work because families think that they need to employ as many people from the their families so they can earn as much as they can because it's a seasonal job. You know, there is a small window of opportunity to, to get some income while there is a work. So their strategy is mostly based on they should employ as many people as they can. So children become quite viable for those families uh, working in the fields. That was Sanie Dedeolu. Many thanks to her for joining for episode number 174. Remember, her book is available to all Turkey Book Talk Patreon members for a 35% discount. Indeed, all Turkey Ottoman history books published by IB Taurus Bloomsbury are available to Turkey Book Talk members for that 35% discount. Members also get transcripts of every interview, transcripts of the entire archive of interviews, access to an archive of over 200 book reviews written by me, and links via email to articles and other content related to the subject of each episode. For all that, just go to Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account and pledge $3, €3, Euros, or £2.50 per episode. You can also support Turkey Book Talk by rating it or writing a positive review wherever you listen. Follow via our website, turkeybooktalk.com, our Twitter, Facebook or Instagram accounts or all of them. Recommend Turkey Book Talk to a friend or a foe. And I always enjoy hearing from listeners. So do send any feedback or abuse to williamjohnarmstrong at gmail.com. 
Finally, let me once again remind you to check out a friend of Turkey Book Talk, Turkey Recap. Turkey Recap is a weekly email newsletter that brings together all major developments in Turkey over the past seven days, links to interesting articles and some excellent puns. They've also got a Slack channel now for signed up members who want more. And they've also started publishing high quality original on the ground reporting for their subscribers. Just go to turkeyrecap.com and follow the links there to subscribe. But until our next episode of Turkey Book Talk in a couple of weeks, thank you very much for listening. Thank you.